Welcome to the Hallucination Cafe. I'd like to take you on a journey to an alternative reality, a world of fiction, of horror, of science that doesn't exist. I'm your host, Shelley Ann Wooderson. Welcome back to the Hallucination Cafe. I've been away for a while. Seems like the holidays came and just trying to get back on track again. So, I promised you a funny story. That won't be this week. I just actually wanted to give a shout out to a friend of mine called Rick Hall, who has a fabulous podcast called So Says Rick. And he's uh, currently not making any episodes either, but that he has a better excuse than me. He's been moving. If you want to hear the most tragic Christmas story of all time, or a really funny Halloween story, both of which are true, go check out So Says Rick. Tonight's story is called the Necropolis Moon, and it's read and written by me, Shelley Ann Wooderson, and I hope to get another one out for you next week as well. So here goes again. Welcome back to the Hallucination Cafe. The Necropolis Moon. The hardest thing about job interviews is answering that one question you weren't expecting. He'd already worked out how to answer all the usual questions. So, Mr. Crawley, call me Tim. So, Tim... Where do you see yourself in five years' time? Tim, what are your greatest strengths? What do you want to, why do you want to work for Insert Name Here Corporation? What's your greatest weakness? He'd been looking for a job so long, he thought he'd heard them all. So when she said it, he stammered. Excuse me, can you repeat that? I'm not sure I heard you correctly. Do you believe in ghosts, Tim? Ghosts? Yes, ghosts. Spirits of the dead who haunt the living? No, um, I know what it is. I mean, I mean, I haven't given it much thought. I mean, that's just silly stuff for horror movies and scariest kid stories. I mean, I I don't see... Well, if I don't can't see it, you know, I, I don't believe in it. But you can't see the wind. Yeah, but you can feel it. I mean, ghost? Yeah, no. I don't think they exist. Are you a churchgoer, Mr. Crawley? No, I, I mean, I went when I was a kid and my grandma made me, but I, I guess I always thought it was kind of, you know, well, I'm not religious, but I respect other people that are. I mean, I don't want to demean anyone else's belief. It's all about live and let live, and if that works for you, more power for you, but I don't really... She'd gone off the script and now he was babbling. That's fine, Mr. Crawley. We'll be in touch. He stammered his goodbyes and the video chat was over. Standing up, he took off his coat, his tie and pulled off the iron shirt. He was only wearing pyjama bottoms below and he walked slowly back through the dark house to the bedroom. He crawled back into the bed, trying not to wake her. She moved towards him. How was the interview, darling? Emily asked if she snuggled against his back. I'm pretty sure I messed it up. Sorry to hear that. It would have been nice, all that money. Yeah, one year up there and it would have made the same as five years down here. Emily kissed him on the neck and he rolled over to face her, kissing her and putting his arms around her. It's probably for the best. I don't really want to be away from you and Millie. Oh, we would have made it work, she said. She sighed, still mostly asleep, and turned nestling into him and spooning her he fell back asleep. Two weeks later when they called him for the second interview he was dumbfounded. He called Emily at work. Hey, honey. Hi, baby. I've only got a minute till Cass gets back from lunch. What's up? They're asking for a second interview. You know, on the moon job. 
Oh, wow, great, honey. And he knew she was genuinely happy for him. The job hunt had been long and fruitless so far. And he knew she was also happy for herself. The teaching job she'd taken was not really paying the bills, and she was having to do a lot of tutoring after school. She was tired, and he was tired of seeing her smiling and pretending she wasn't. They flew him up for the second interview. It was his first rocket trip, the first time he'd left Earth's atmosphere. The flight was almost empty, just a bereaved family of eight, all of them in black, none of them sad, an ungrieving widow and himself. The rest of the passengers flew below decks, dead in their coffins. When the vessel docked, the administrator was there to greet the ship. He nodded at Tim with a slight bob, then ignored him, and went to work, talking to the family of the deceased. Tim watched intently. After all, this is what they wanted him to do. Mrs. Gibson, the administrator smiled without showing teeth. It's a genuine pleasure to meet you. I am so sorry it's on such an unhappy occasion. I'm George Sorke, the administrator. Jim's brain started to put together the old woman's face with the newspaper stories he'd seen. The news must have used photos from at least 40 years before. Mrs. Eleanor Gibson formerly a model and movie star, wife of Erickson Gibson, inventor of the quantum separator and owner of most of the Pacific Ocean seabed. Erickson had died last week at 190, so his corpse must be one of the ones not rotting in the refrigerated hull. These must be your children. They hardly look like children, all of them at least 60 with faces frozen by surgeons in infantile petulant masks. She nodded, just barely acknowledging him. Well, come this way, ma'am. I understand you'll want to get back on the next shuttle. Follow me, please. George's voice was slow and solemn, and even the filthy rich would not question his commands. They followed him to a small building. It immediately began to descend. It was an elevator. They stopped, and the wall opened to a palatial suite of rooms. Please rest here until the service... Hors d'oeuvres have been prepared, and if you wish to freshen up, there are facilities. The body will be on display in exactly one hour, and thirty minutes later we will begin the service. I will leave you now. If you need anything, just push the buttons near the doors. Is there anything else I can do for you? The elderly woman shook her head. Tim wondered if her mouth even moved after all the surgery. George turned and motioned him to follow him. They walked back into the huge elevator. George hit another button and they began to descend again. Thanks for coming, Tim. We'll have a few minutes to talk now. After the funeral, we can talk again. I'm so sorry, but by the time I finish with them, I won't be able to get you on the return shuttle this evening. You'll have to wait until the morning. We have rooms you can stay in. That'll be all right, won't it? Sure. I want you to come to the Gibson funeral. You may as well see what it's about. I see you're already wearing black, which is just as well. For some of the funerals, of course, you need to wear white, but we supply all the necessary garb. I've never had to wear the ceremonial headdress needed for a Zoroaster funeral, but we have one, complete, nevertheless, with all the bells and mirrors. The door slid open, and they were in an office space. No windows, just a display screen covering the wall. It was showing pictures of trees in a stream. This is the office. The real one, where I actually work. The other one is just for the family to see is on level 12. There are 75 levels in total. Tim could feel his head spinning. 
Wasn't he supposed to be answering questions? Talking about why he wanted the job? He looked around the office. It was well lit, large and pleasant enough. It could be his office. Where are the other people who work here? Well, actually, I'm the only employee in the necropolis as such. As administrator, I run everything. It's all automated, you see, and everything else is done by the prisoners. He motioned him to sit down next to him on a high-backed chair. The prisoners. You've already signed all the non-disclosure paperwork, so I might as well tell you. The only living people on the necropolis moon are myself and 50 criminals who are considered too dangerous to be on Earth and their guards. Criminals? Yep, you didn't see that in the brochures, did you? They're the ones who really keep this place going. You know, if any of the electronics or automation breaks down. You know, if a body jams up in the bone grinder, they're the ones cleaning it out. I mean, almost everything's automatic, but they do the dirty work and the grounds maintenance. Keeps them busy and out of trouble. Not that you'll have anything to do with them. There are 25 guards at any time, and they mostly keep to themselves, and they rotate out every month. So basically, you're up here all alone. Do you have a family? Yes. And will they be joining you? I thought it would be better if they stayed on Earth. My daughter is in school and... Yes, yes, much better. You can, of course, have them come up for a visit, but I wouldn't recommend they live here. You don't mind being alone, do you? No, uh, I don't think so. Good answer. Well, we'll have to talk more later. Time to go and prepare the body for viewing. Tim followed George out. George seemed to shuffle and glide over the ground, not step. Tim wondered if, like his voice, it was something he would have to learn. George handed him a black overcoat and slid one on himself. Now they looked even more like the Grim Reaper and less like men. Back in the elevator, George slid his hands over the controls and the room opened to a church. The church looked like it had been carved from stone 200 years before, but Tim knew the necropolis moon had only been in existence for 40 years, so that wasn't possible. In the front of the church lay a marble coffin, open with the interred remains of Mr. Gibson, looking better in death than he had for some time in life. The body had been prepared before shipping, the eyes glued open, the lips glued shut, and the torso had been stapled back together after the autopsy to see if one of the kids had murdered him. They dressed him in a beautiful black velvet smoking jacket and a white satin shirt and black satin pants. He looked lifelike, but remarkably lifeless. No amount of makeup or spray tan could make him look like he was in any way animated. The conveyor belt brings the bodies in and the coffins are programmed to open. We just have to check the body before the attendees arrive. Sometimes the conveyor goes a little haywire and families tend to get upset if they've come to see their beloved red-haired infant get buried and somehow they've become a geriatric black woman. So always pull up the file, he said, as he touched the comm link on his wrist and a file appeared as a hologram. He zoomed into the photo of the deceased. Same guy, just as dead. We are ready for the family. He swept his hand over the projection and pulled a virtual button. There was a ringing sound and he was connected to cameras in the bereaved room. The bereaved were at that moment lapping down the alcohol provided, like baboons drinking from the only oasis in a thousand miles. George spoke to the scream with a voice so serene it sounded like water running down a stream. Mr. Gibson's body will be available for viewing for the next half hour 
and then the ceremony will commence. He pushed a button and a door opened. Please follow the hallway down to the chapel for the viewing and the service. We could see on the camera that no one was leaving the bar. George turned off the camera. They won't come, but we've done our part. They won't come to see the body? Absolutely not. And they probably won't come for the service either. They'll all be too drunk. We'll load them back into the shuttle later, drunk out of their skulls, and they'll return to Earth having done their duty. Are they all like this? Oh no, these are the easy kind. The hard kind are the family of people who were deeply loved. They want to spend every last minute with the body of their mom or sister or child. They don't want to leave their husband to be buried away from them up here. Getting them back on the shuttle is harder. It's a lot more work. Of course, most people can't afford to come up here, so it's become a bit of a status symbol to have a funeral on the necropolis moon rather than back in a church in Tennessee and just turning the ashes up to return to fertilizer. Since burying the dead became illegal on Earth, mailing up your parents' remains to be thrown in the garden is the best budget option for most people. Actually, you know, it's one of the perks of the job. They give you a free crypt for the family for at least four generations. So everyone up through your great-grandchildren won't have to fork out for a funeral. It's a nice perk. You know, I like you, Tim. And I've been authorized to offer you the job. Really? I mean, me? Are you sure? Tim was sure at this point. He knew he'd never be able to do the job as well as George. How did one learn to sound calm and serene always? How did one learn to float above the ground? Was there a page in the training manual to describe the steps? How did you get a drunken funeral attendee back on a shuttle home? Or drag a grieving widow away from her husband's corpse? Tim was sure now that he would never be able to do the job. He wanted the job, but he was sure he'd be fired as soon as he started. He wasn't good enough. He was sure he wouldn't get the job, and now it was being offered... They needed the money, and he didn't really have any other prospects. George walked over to the camera controls. The family were now sitting on the sofas, drinks in hand. The viewing will cease in 15 minutes, and the ceremony will begin. Please start making your way down the lighted corridor towards the chapel room. The widow stood and walked towards the corridor. Mrs. Gibson had been tall in her youth. Now her spine bent over, her forehead led her out of the room and down the corridor. Well, I was wrong, said George, but I'm not wrong about you. You have time to decide, of course, but I think you'll do a great job. Mrs. Gibson, he continued, pivoting, let me help you. Would you like to see the body before you take a seat? Yes, she nodded and walked over to the empty casket. She pulled her hand off the cane and poked his cheek. He's really dead, isn't he? Yes, ma'am. She acted like she hadn't heard him and poked the dead man again. Then she turned back to the seats, and as she sat, Tim heard her hiss between clenched teeth. You lose. Her children didn't come to the coffin. They peered from a distance with a certain amount of curiosity and a strange fear, as if death itself was contagious and breathing in near the body would ensure their own demise. 
as if they were, so long as they stayed far enough away, immortal. And it was obvious now, by how they treated her, that this was not about the man in the box. They were all there to pay homage to the long-suffering widow, to this woman who'd lived long enough to control the purse strings of the entire family. Their lives of debauched luxury were now subject to her whims, and she needed to be mollified. Grandma, can I sit next to you? A particularly generic blonde sat next to Mrs. Gibson and then tried to hold her hand. The matriarch pulled her gloved hand away and put it on her lap. The older generation nodded their respect while George started the service and read the pre-approved monologue. It wasn't long. No one wanted to talk of the dead. No one really wanted to hear about him either. They were making a nod to tradition without actually caring about the exact sentiment it was supposed to invoke. And in 15 minutes, it was over. George closed the casket and the sons came to carry it to the burial site. Tim took the far end of the casket with George as he motioned him to grab a side. George pushed a button and the casket levitated slightly as the silent onboard thrusters kicked in. The doors opened and they walked out to the graveyard. The graveyard was beautiful. Lush green grass and marble crypts and statues. The sky looked like the blue of earth, but there was no sun. Just the whole sky's glowing, a perfect blue light of a perfect sunlit day. Tim heard a noise and saw some ravens on the crypt to the side. George directed their movement to a frame and they placed the coffin down on it. He turned off the thrusters, and it settled on the straps over an endless black pit. The ceremony continued. George pulled out the appropriate Bible with the appropriate passage and read it out, then pushed a button, and the coffin started to descend. The family were motioned to pick up a handful of dirt and throw it after the descending box. The matriarch brushed George away when he motioned to the dirt pile. The hole in the ground closed with metal doors after the coffin had descended far enough. Dirt would be added later to fill the hole. Then a crypt would be built on top for the rest of the family as they fell. It was over. A sense of joy filled the crowd. Can we leave now? asked the heir apparent with only a slight slur in his voice from the jenny down before the event. Yes, sir. George motioned, and a self-driving shuttle pulled up. Please let me help you to your shuttle, and we'll go back to the launch pad. George helped the old lady into the seat, and the rest of the family piled in. He moved to the rear of the vehicle and stood at the tailgate like a footman of old. He motioned Tim to stand next to him, and together they stood in attendance as the horseless carriage carried its passengers back to the shuttle gantry. They dismounted and opened the doors for the passengers, who quickly walked up the gangplank. The generically pretty blonde followed her grandmother inside, then turned her head to look back after she walked in. And Tim could almost sense her thought. She was calculating how long it would be before she'd be back in the place to put her grandmother in the same hole as her grandfather. And the doors of the shuttle closed. Well, said George, do you want the job? Yes, Tim said. Y yes, I do. Although in his heart, he still felt he was not worthy of the position. 
Great, let's go back to my office. You can fill out the paperwork and I'll give you the training manual. And you'll train me too? Absolutely. Tomorrow when you leave, take the manual and then in two weeks you'll report with all your things. We'll work together for a month and then you're on your own. By the time Mrs. Gibson returned, Tim was well versed in speaking in soft tones and floating across the floor. Lying in her coffin, Mrs. Gibson looked younger than the last time he'd seen her. Her family didn't bother to come see the body or attend the ceremony. They thought they'd done enough just to get to the moon and get to the free booze. Mrs. Gibson, Tim said to the corpse, sure now they'd be alone for the next half hour until their body descended into the dirt made from recycled corpses. I'm sorry to see you back here so soon. Did one of them kill you, I wonder? I thought you were tougher than this. It's been less than six months. I know for sure because my family are coming to visit in two weeks. Tim had known he wouldn't be able to see his family often once he'd taken the job, but he'd been surprised how slow time passed. Three months ago he'd gone back to Earth for a week vacation with Emmy and Millie, and now in two weeks they'd come and see him. You know, I talk to Emily every day on the phone, but it's not the same, and somehow the video calls make them seem even further away. Yesterday, Emily was on the screen and she called Millie to join and talk to Dad, and Millie wouldn't come because she was too busy. When she finally showed up, she didn't want to be there long, and she was wearing eyeshadow. I mean, when did she start wearing eyeshadow? I haven't been gone that long, and it seems like forever. Tim looked at his watch. Time to take you out and bury you. Tim turned on the audio connection to the waiting room and donned his crypt keeper voice, low, slow and preternaturally calm. The funeral service is over. Mrs. Gibson will now be interred in the earth. The graveside commitment service will begin in ten minutes. Please follow the lighted path to the gravesite. Tim pushed the button. That beeped. That way, it seemed like the connection was over, but he kept it open and turned himself to mute so he could hear the family. He wanted to know for sure if they were going to show up or whether they'd skip that too. The oldest son rolled his globulous body off the sofa and started to walk towards the lighted exit. Let's go, make sure the old bitch is really in the ground and doesn't climb out. It would be just like her, said the generic blonde granddaughter, who'd had some very bad lip filler injected in since the last time Tim had seen her. She'd climb out of the grave and start yelling orders, vampire bitch. The other members of the party followed the newly appointed head of the family down the corridor as the electronic bear arrived to move the body to the gravesite. The last thing Tim heard before he turned off the video connection and followed the body was, I hope she really isn't dead and she scratches her fingers all the way down to the wrist trying to get out of the coffin. Tim sighed. All these people who were devastated when they lost their family, and these were the ones he had to deal with today. You're better off without them, he said to the corpse as he walked beside her to the graveyard. The Gibson crypts had only been finished four months earlier on top of Mr. Gibson, but it looked old, timeless, made from weathered marble with lichen carefully planted to complete the illusion. It was just big enough for the family to stand within while the floor opened to accept the body. 
Her oldest son was wedged in the corner in a place where a shelf would be put for one of his grandchildren when the underground storage was full. When Tim stopped speaking, he kicked a pile of dirt into the hole and walked out with his children following behind. Tim had to wonder how much longer he'd be before Junior needed an oversized box. He shuffled out behind them and ushered them to the waiting rocket ship. The doors closed behind them and he could feel his spine relax. He slouched his shoulders and decided to take a walk before he went down to his underground apartment. The light was fading into nightfall. Not a sunset, just a dimmer switch turning down the blue in the sky. He liked this time. It felt calm. He walked back to Mrs. Gibson's tomb and shut the door. Ravens were coming home to roost on the roof. As the only living things on the moon except the humans, he'd come to appreciate their cores and cries. They were the only thing to break the silence most of the time. He thought of the expression, silent as a crypt, and he knew the silence was one of the hardest parts. There were trees, but no wind. Leaves only rustled if caught in an air-cycling bent, and the prisoners constantly raked, so that was unlikely. Later in the night you can hear them speak. I haven't heard anything. Buenas noches, Tom Tim. Tim smiled, it was Pedro. You look happy, thinking about your family visiting. Yes, I was. Tim sat down on one of the concrete benches, looking over the perfect green grass and the lake with the fountain. Pedro came to sit beside him. I like this time of the day. I do too, but after all the lights are out, I want to be away from here, away from unhappy dead. You believe in ghosts, Pedro? Seen too many a nod to. Pedro's voice got quieter. Mas tarde en la noche. You hear them speak. I haven't heard anything. Wait. When you are here enough, they talk to you. How long have you been here? Twenty-eight years, three months, answered Pedro. Some of them are very angry at me. Some of them just sad. Tim nodded, remembering Pedro, who he really was before he became the bent-up old man sweeping up leaves. He was the head of a revolution, the cause of five million deaths, the loser of a war. If he had won the war, thought Tim, Pedro would have been a revolutionary hero, like Mao or Guevara. Now he was too dangerous to ever go back to the land of the living. They tell me they want me to join them. I asked that when I die, they eject my body out one of the airlocks with the garbage. You don't want to be buried? No, and not burned up and ground like dust. I hear they're bringing some vultures to replace the ones that died, and maybe not so bad, but when I am dead, I serve my time. I don't want to be forced to live here with the dead that whisper in the night. I never would have thought you were superstitious, Pedro. I am not. Pedro stood up and started to walk away. Buenas noches. Good night. Tim sat and watched the sky turn totally black. No stars to lighten the night, just the darkened roof of the inside of the metal sphere they lived inside. 
Little garden lights lit the paths, and he began to walk back to the elevator that would take him the 57 floors down to his house. As he got into the elevator, he thought he heard something, but he shook his head. It was just his imagination. There was no such thing as ghosts. You didn't start to hear the dead if you stayed too long amongst them. Pedro just put ideas in his head. But as the elevator doors closed, he thought he saw something out of the corner of his eye. Hi, honey. Hi, baby. I'm so excited you guys are coming. Did you get the list I sent of the things I need you to bring? Yep. Great. You know, I buried Mrs. Gibson today. It's only six months after we buried her husband. Do you think she died so soon because she missed him? People definitely die from grief, but she was overjoyed the bastard was gone. So I think someone killed her. Still, that's for the authorities to work out. Not that they will with the amount of money and power the family holds. Millie says she's scared to come, Tim. You know, because of all the ghosts. How many times do I have to tell her there's no such thing as ghosts? I know, I told her too. But she's a kid. I mean, it wasn't that long ago she was afraid of the monster under the bed. Oh God, how I miss you. I should never have taken this job. Well, you're halfway through, honey. And maybe now we'll have extra money in the bank and we could try for another kid. She'd obviously wanted to bring that up for a while and he'd thought about it already. They had enough money now for a new house with enough space for several more children. Yes, I would love to have another kid before Millie's too old to grow up with them. We can practice trying to get one while you're here. She giggled and he started to chuckle too. Mommy, help! It was Millie in the distance. I dropped a plate! Oh, honey, gotta go. Judy calls. Talk to you soon. Tim walked back to the kitchen and made himself some food. Tomorrow would be a long day. There were no services booked and no work that needed him in the office. He might go to the gym. He had a couple weeks to get toned before Emily saw him. Smiling, he sat down in front of the TV with a reheated microwave meal. He was in the gym working out when his wrist communicator buzzed. He hit the button for the video screen to open. He guessed it was probably an emergency funeral for some rich person. Hopefully someone like the generic blonde had died in a routine liposuction, rather than someone who would actually be missed. George was on the screen. Hi, George. I heard you're working at the head office. Who died? They asked me to call because we know each other. George had his crypt keeper voice on. The one Tim had learned disappeared after a shot of vodka. Tim, I'm so sorry. Sorry? What's going on? Had they decided to fire him? He was halfway through the contract. How much money would they pay him? What had he done wrong? Emily and Millie died this morning in a car accident. Tim stared at the projector. Did you hear me, Tim? Is the link clear? Yes. Are you okay, Tim? Tim's eyes started to well up. Where? How? He grabbed his towel and walked to the elevator. The walls felt like they were closing in on him, and he needed to get topside to the open space. He needed to feel like he was outside. They were on their way to take Millie to school, and someone hacked a Rolls Royce. They were trying to kill some billionaire, and the car ran a red light. They died instantly. They didn't feel any pain. 
And the billionaire? He's in a hospital. He'll probably recover. You know, Tim, they didn't feel anything. It was too fast. Uh, you wrote that you wanted burials, not cremations. So they're going to send the bodies up to you tomorrow. But they'll need to be closed caskets. That's eleven days early. They weren't supposed to get here for eleven days. The elevator opened and Tim walked out into the twilight graveyard and sat on a bench, looking back towards the Gibson's crypt and the ravens flying home for the night. I'll come up with them, Tim. Corporate has agreed to give you a job earthside for the duration of the rest of your contract, and I can hold the fort until they find someone else. I don't have anything to go back to Earth for. I'll stay here. So you'd like to work out the rest of your contract up there? Please send my girls up. I want to stay with them. I want to renew my contract for another year. You know, Tim, corporate has found that after too long up there... You know, you start to see things. Even I was starting to think I was hearing the dead talk to me. And I'm not that kind of person. That's why I got the job, isn't it? Why, Tim? Because I'm not the kind of person who sees ghosts. The Gibson crypt glowed in the blackness of the night, and Tim could swear at the corner of the shadows and the edge of his vision. A woman in white flickered. Tim started to walk towards her. He needed her help. Well, that may have been part of it, certainly. Tim held his hand out to Mrs. Gibson, and she put her hand in his. George, send my wife and baby to me. I hear if you stay here long enough, the ghosts start to talk to you. And I hope that it's true. Thank you for listening to tonight's story. Uh, we will be coming back at you with at least a story a month. Uh, maybe more. I hope more. Um... If you liked the podcast tonight, please subscribe, like, uh, leave us a review, a rating, tell your friends about us. If you would like to have a story on the podcast, please contact me. You can find me at hallucinationpodcast.com. And I'd like to thank you for listening to the story tonight.